We have the upcoming holiday of Pesach in a week. And I wanted to analyze uh, via a series of questions. I have at least eight or ten or something like that to just open up the whole subject of Pesach and try to build a unified theorem of what the holiday is about and what we can glean from the holiday. Of course, it's very easy for us to latch on to the details and the minutia, taking a blowtorch or an iron and getting rid of every little speck of chametz and to lose sight of the big picture. What is the objective of the holiday? Uh, what is the value that we can have in celebrating it? And what's the focus of the, what's the theme in general? So I'm going to analyze several themes and try to build them together and unite them under one overarching idea that is the unified uh, theme of the holiday for us. I want to start in Genesis. Typically, we talk about the story of the Exodus. It's in the book of Exodus. But in Genesis, there is the earliest, the first reference we find to the idea of Jews being enslaved in Egypt shows up right after God tells Abraham, you're going to have descendants, you're going to have a legacy. Oh, and by the way, Genesis 15, 13, you should surely know that your descendants will be foreigners in a foreign land and they will work, they will be in servitude there. They'll be tormented for 400 years. Oh, and let me placate you. And I will also surely judge the nation that will torment them and afterwards they will leave with great wealth. So, it seems like the idea of the Jews being enslaved in Egypt was preordained all the way back to Abraham. Moreover, it's linked to the Abrahamic legacy, the idea that Abraham is going to be the father of the Jewish people, all the way back to the very beginnings of our nation, it's already established, it's prophesized, it's an unyielding, immutable principle, Jews have to be Enslaved, And of course, this raises at least four questions. First of all, why do the Jews need to go to Egypt? This is, remember, Abraham hasn't, there's no sins yet. Typically, we look at bad things happening, and we say, well, the Jews' sins, they need to have X, Y, or Z to rectify that. This is where Abraham, by the Brisbane Absarim, by the covenant of the parts, Abraham is now having a blessing and a pledge from God that he's going to be close to us, and he's going to give us a, a whole nation. Then it's already preordained, Jews are going to be slaves in Egypt. The question is, why does it have to, like, why is it necessary, so to speak, for us to be a nation to have to undergo this 400-year trauma of servitude, number one? Uh, number two, why is it specifically told to Abraham? Like, why, in general, do, do we have to be in Egypt, and why is this... Uh, linked to the Abrahamic legacy and the Abrahamic nation. And also the second puzzle, the second verse says, oh, don't get all bothered about the fact that Jewish people are going to be in Egypt. I want to come for you, that the nation that will, uh, that will enslave them, I'm also going to judge. Like, how does that help the problem? I can tell you, oh, you'll have to go to prison for 400 years, but I'll get them back. We'll have revenge. Like, how does that, what's the object of telling Abraham that, oh, we'll get revenge, don't worry about it. You're going to suffer terribly, but we'll get revenge. It doesn't, that doesn't seem to address a, a, a core problem. And also, lastly, it's told, oh, but afterwards we're going to leave with great wealth. What's the significance of this great wealth? Like, if I told you, 
uh, is this going to allay your concerns? I told you, your descendants are going to suffer. They're going to be for 400 years. But when they leave, they'll be really rich. Like, How does that at all comfort Abraham? Uh, and if it's just foretelling of good tidings, the future of the Jewish people, they're going to be really wealthy, then why does it specifically have to mention they'll leave Egypt with great wealth? You could say that in, in, uh, in uh, 1240 in Cordova in Spain, they'll be really rich. Or in 2017 in Houston, Texas... Or in America, Jews will be wealthy. Like, what, like, what's the significance? Like, oh, you'll be enslaved, but then you'll be wealthy. Okay, great. So these are questions. Just in the the first time it's mentioned that Jews will be in in, in Egypt, uh, there are some major problems in the narrative. Uh, now, on Pesach, we know the mitzvah of Pesach is the eating consumption of the matzah. If you just read the Haggadah, the way the Haggadah presents the matzah, it does in disparate uh, ways. We begin the Haggadah. Halach ma'anya, this is the bread of affliction that our forefathers ate in Egypt. If you want to know what the diet of the Jewish people were when they were enslaved, it wasn't rich man's bread, it was poor man's bread. It was these matzahs. Today, just as a side note, you have to be really rich to afford matzah. That's about $4 per matzah. Um, but it's considered, it's labeled as the poor man's bread, what we ate when we were slaves in Egypt. Uh, that's the beginning of the Haggadah. Uh, towards the middle of Magid, we say, Matzah zusha anu ochlem al shuma. Why are we eating the matzah? And it tells a story, lo hispik bat sekam shalavasenulicha, that, uh, the dough of our forebearers was not allowed to rise when they were leaving. So is matzah representative of the Jews in Egypt or the Jews when they left Egypt? It seems like in the Haggadah, we're told both. Which one is it? We know there's a dramatic change. When we were in Egypt, we were slaves. When we left Egypt, we were freed. So is matzah the representation of a free man's food or a poor man's food? It seems like it's both. If it's both, then, or, or if it's one or the other, it's, it's called a poor man's bread, right? If we're still eating it when we leave, how are, how do we ever accomplish any freedom? If we, if we're eating poor man's bread when we're enslaved, and we're eating the same poor man's bread when we leave, so we're slaves, and now we're still slaves. So what's the, well, what changed? Uh, I want to look at some more, some more problems with the whole story. If you read the description of the templates, in three times, after the third, after the, I believe it's the third, the sixth, and the ninth, in those three sections, we're told, or that the Egyptians and Paro will know because of these overwhelming plagues that Hashem runs the world. And the question is, if the objective of the plagues is to force Pharaoh's hands to allow the Jews to go, and the objective, of course, is the Jews' freedom, why is it necessary that Pharaoh, he will know that I am Hashem? Who cares about Pharaoh but the Jewish people? Number one. Number two, we know the end of the story. end of the story is, if you read by uh, the uh, Parshas B'Shalach, with the splitting of the sea, all the Egyptians were killed. They're all gone. They all disappeared. So why is the Almighty investing so much? So Egypt, I mean, Pharaoh will know that I am God. Who cares about them? They are quickly barreling towards extinction. Why is there so much investment in, in the beginning of the book of Exodus that the Egyptians will know that I am God? Uh, on a similar vein, 
we're told that the Almighty pledges that Pharaoh's heart will get hardened either by his doing or by God's doing to prolong the servitude. And the question is why? If the objective of the plagues are that the Jews will go towards freedom, now after the fifth plague, Pharaoh already agreed to allow the Jews to go and the Almighty is prolonging the servitude by artificially altering Pharaoh and forcing him and suspending his free will and not allowing him to allow the Jewish people to go. Why not? The Exodus, we want to get free, and now we're allowed to go. Why is why are we belaboring the process by hardening Pharaoh's heart? Now, additionally, uh, more broadly, we see that this episode of Yitzias Mitzram, of the Exodus of Egypt, is a central theme in Jewish life. Every single one of the holidays, on Shabbos, we read the Shema, we're always referencing Zechel and Tzias Mitzrayim again and again, twice a day, every Shabbos, every holiday. If the Exodus was merely a means to an end, we were slaves and now we're free, why is it so necessary to constantly revisit that? So there's really, that, that is almost the flip side of the earlier question. We see that it's not just arbitrary that we became slaves. It's part of the plan. We had to become slaves. If you want to be Jewish people, you have to be slaves. That's number one. So that's not arbitrary. And the Exodus is also not arbitrary. It's not just some way to get free. How do we get free? Well, there's no way to do it without the miracles. We have to do the miracles. No. It was designed. It had to happen this way with all the miracles. And even if that meant changing Pharaoh's free will. Why? I want to introduce a solution to all, these question, to all these questions with another statement, this one from Deuteronomy, which describes the episode of Egypt in very surprising terms. The verse tells us, V'etchem l'kach Hashem, and you, Hashem, took, V'yotzi etchem, and took you out, extracted you, mipur habarzel, from the iron crucible, to be for him as a nation, nachala, of perpetuation, as this day. The verse describes the Egyptian experience as a kur habarzal, an iron crucible. What's an iron crucible? Says Rashi. It's a kli, it's a vessel that we use to purify gold. Now, obviously, if that is what the Egyptian exile is, just initially we see that this is not some sort of bad thing. It's a good thing. Well, if it's compared to an iron crucible, an iron crucible is something that you, if you have gold, but it's not quite pure, you want to separate the impure elements from it, you put it in the iron crucible, and the result of it is pure, refined gold. So just those, that sentence alone is enough for us to understand at least the idea is that, well, maybe if the Egyptian exile was an iron crucible, maybe we want to really go through it. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's something that's actually constructive. It's contributing towards a more perfect 
Jewish people. But obviously the question is, why? Um, remember, it's assuming that we were golden, it's just we weren't perfect. Now we need to be perfected, here's the Egyptian exile. But we doesn't seem to us that the Egyptian exile was constructive. What about being a slave makes you better? It seems like it makes you worse. And additionally, it doesn't seem to have worked. Who were the ones that initially came to Egypt? Jacob and Jacob's 12 righteous sons. And who were the ones that, after hundreds of years of exile, who were the ones that remained? A rogue nation, a nation that are constantly making mistakes throughout the whole rest of the Torah narrative. A nation that are stiff-necked, a nation that even refuses to leave. doesn't seem like we improved, it seems like we regressed. It doesn't seem to have done the job. Was, was this Iron Crucible a success or a failure? It seems like it was a failure. And yet, we are presented it in glowing terms. They, they might take you out. You're now, you're a fine gold. You're, you're perfect. You're ready for prime time. The question is, why? So let's see if we can try to figure this all out. I want to suggest that we have to re-examine what it means to be a Jewish nation. We're told, just as a kind of an awkward way to introduce the topic, when the Jewish slave decides to stay aboard after his six-year term is up, the verse tells they take him to the wall with the doorpost, and you bore a hole through his ear. Says Rashi, why? Because this person is choosing to be a slave of a slave not a slave of God. And this same ear that heard at Sinai, the Jewish people are my slaves. And now this person is choosing to repudiate that by becoming a slave of a slave. So we see that the Jewish people are presented at Sinai, at our acme, at our zenith, at our picture-perfect representation of who the Jewish nation really is supposed to be. We're told that we're supposed to be slaves of God. I want to argue that the 400 years being foretold to Abraham, that is a necessary requirement for the pledge that preceded it. Abraham, you want to create a destiny and a legacy that involves not an individual or a family, it involves a nation. Abraham himself was a true slave of God. But to have a nation that is going to embody what Abraham represents, they're going to have to be conditioned to be slaves. Abraham, this is what you're signing up for. You want your nation. This is what you're asking for. How will I know that I will have a legacy fulfilling what I began? The man says, you know what? I promise you're going to have descendants. You're going to, you're, you're Seed will burgeon into a nation. However, in order for an entire nation to be Abrahamic and to fulfill what you began, there it's vital and necessary that they spend hundreds of years conditioning themselves into becoming absolute slaves. This slavery is necessary because in order to do what you do, 
you have to be a slave as well. What does it mean to be a slave? It means to someone who is entirely subjugated towards the will of someone else, some other entity. That's what it means to be a slave. Slavery equals loss of freedom of behavior, loss of freedom of perspective, loss of freedom in every attitude of life. In order to become a perfect slave, you have to become a slave of God. You have to spend 400 years in Egypt. Now let's go back to the beginning. What's going to happen once the Jewish people are slaves of Pharaoh? And you see at the end of the hundreds of years of slavery to Pharaoh, they are so committed to Pharaoh, Moshe comes and says, let me take you guys out. They couldn't even hear what Moshe said. Moshe is offering them the olive branch. I've given you freedom. And they can't imagine it. They were so subject and subjugated to Pharaoh, they couldn't fathom a different kind of lifestyle. They were real slaves. Now, what's going to be by the Exodus? The Exodus is going to represent a transformation, not of the state of the Jewish people. They were slaves, and they remain slaves. However, what's being transferred is who their allegiances are towards. They were slaves of Pharaoh. They remain slaves, but now they're slaves of God. Thus, when Abraham is foretold that your kids are going to be slaves in a foreign land, I will actually judge their master. What that's telling Abraham is that this master is going to be transplanted and cast away. I will judge them, i.e., and then they will have great Wealth, i.e. the gold that I want to extract. What's this gold? It's a, the gold is when a nation is golden is to the degree that they are slaves of God. When they will leave with great wealth, it's not referring to material wealth, it's referring to spiritual wealth. It's referring to what its references in, in Deuteronomy that they're going to go through an iron crucible. And what will, what will emerge great wealth? Pure gold. But to have that pure gold, I have to judge Pharaoh. Why? Pharaoh needs to know that I am God. Why? When the Jewish people see their master being entirely humbled by his master, when they see Pharaoh being judged by God, then they could move their allegiances to the higher power of the totem pole, to God. Therefore, it's critical that it's part of this whole process is that Pharaoh needs to be judged because that will facilitate the transfer of allegiance from Pharaoh to God. And that's why every one of these steps, there's ten plagues, and the Almighty repeats again, Pharaoh will know that I am God. The way to create this transference from affinity to Pharaoh, allegiance to Pharaoh, to allegiance to God, how do you do that? By Pharaoh himself being humbled repeatedly by God, Pharaoh will know that I am God. There's no way for Pharaoh to escape that reality and there's no way for the Jews to miss it. And therefore they see that Pharaoh, their erstwhile master, is actually nothing but a puppet in the hands of God. Now they can become slaves of God. And the templates, just just all the sources of the templates, they describe it as 10 lessons of faith for the Jewish people. And everyone tries, every one of the commentaries builds for themselves a model for what the templates are. Cleocra famously says that the ten first three show are all subterranean from the ground, the water, the lice, and the 
frauds all come from below. The next three are all uh, at kind of face level, the wild animals, the death of the animals, and the boils. And the last three come from above, the hail, the locust, and the darkness. And finally, the ultimate key to life and death itself. And this is not about Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to die. All the Egyptians are going to die. But it's about showing the Jews in every one of these realms of life, Pharaoh has absolutely no control. God is really in control. And Pharaoh is going to let the Jewish people go. Fantastic. We have freedom, but that's not what we want. God could pluck us out of Egypt and plant us wherever he wants us to be. That's not the problem. We need to be educated and shown in various different ways that Pharaoh knows that I am God. And if he doesn't want, he wants to send us out, harden his heart. Of course, the ultimate objective is for the Jewish people. But the Jewish people need to see that Pharaoh knows that I am God in all these variety of ways. And thus, we have to have templates because the templates themselves are the education of the Jewish people of not to be slaves, but to whom they, their slavery ought to be dedicated towards. So what does the Torah tell us? What does the Haggadah tell us? Matzah was the food before the exile, and matzah is the same food after the exile. The question is, what do you mean? Before we were slaves, and afterwards we were free people. The answer is no. Matzah indeed is bread of slaves. It's halach ma'anya. It's the bread of slaves that we ate when we were slaves to Pharaoh. But it's still bread of slavery when we left, because we're still slaves when we left, just now we're slaves to God. So we still eat the matzah, because it's, it's, it's still the bread of slavery. And thus, all the questions are answered. But I also believe that, what does it mean for us today? First of all, uh, this tells us what we are as a nation. We're a nation that is slaves of God. What, is that? what does it mean to be a slave of God? What is Torah? Torah is the list of requirements that our master gives us his slaves. And you know what? A lot of things are things that otherwise, and under other circumstances, just like a slave, a slave might be told, this is what you eat, this is when you wake up, this is how much you work, this is what you do in the overnight, this is what you do in the weekends, and he has no choice because he's a slave. He has no other option. And you know what? The Torah, you look at the Torah, and there's all these mitzvos, and they're non-negotiable, and they're immutable, and there's no way for us to escape them. We're slaves. And that's what, that's by design. That's good. Now, the Almighty throws in a, a modicum of free will, which allows us to misbehave for a little bit, and that's of course by design. But that's not that that that's not the but but the objective. The objective is for us to be slaves to God. And the cherry on top is that what we're told in the sources is that actually, even today, this same conflict exists. Even today, regardless of where someone is, they're eating matzah. Everyone's eating matzah. The only difference is, who's our master? In our life, just like in Exodus, there was two kings, there's two masters, there's Pharaoh and God. And we're slaves regardless. And the only question is, to whom is our slavery directed towards? Today, in modern times, we are also slaves. Every human's a slave. The only difference is to whom do we, do we have our slavery towards? Is it towards God? Or is it towards the fake God, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination? Every time someone says, listen, this mitzvah I cannot do. It's too hard for me. All right? I, it's not possible for me to live without it. Well, what does that mean? 
That's slavery. Someone says, I can't drive, I can't imagine not driving on Shabbos. I can't. You can't imagine it. It's beyond. Okay, what does it mean? You have, you're mandated to drive on Shabbos. You're mandated. You're a slave. How is that any different? Give me a definition of slavery that does not include someone saying, I cannot behave any other way. I'm a slave. That's exactly what slavery is. You can't, you have no freedom to act otherwise. You're a slave. But the difference is, is that are you slaves to God and doing the Torah and the mitzvot and going to reap all the benefits of that? Or are you slave of your Yetzirah? What's called in the Talmud, the Elzar, the foreign God, the fake God that tries to cause us terrible mistakes and blunders and errors that we'll have to pay for very dearly. What does the Talmud tell us? Talmud tells us that the Tana, Rabbi Alexandri, had a prayer that he would, uh, he, that he would uh, put at the end of his prayer, telling God, we really want to do your will. What's stopping us? The leaven in the bread, the Sa'ar Shabi Isa. Says Rashi, what does it mean, leaven in the bread? That refers to the Yetzirah. What the Yetzirah is trying to do to give us assumed freedom, as if we are really free, we're free of God, but in truth what we're doing is becoming enslaved to him. Well, what happens when we become enslaved to him? He starts gnawing at our innards like a band, a swarm of termites chewing away at our soul. We may assume it's freedom, but the truth is, Ein lecha ben chorim ela mishe You do not have a free man. No free man truly exists besides for the free man who toils in Torah. Torah is the way to become truly free. Now, truly free doesn't mean that we're not slaves. Indeed, Pesach is still Zman Chei It's a time of our freedom. It's freedom from one master, but it's submission to another. The human condition is that we are going to be submitted to some God. The question is, which one is it? Is it Pharaoh is it, or is it the Almighty? Is it the Yetzirah or is it the Almighty? That's the only question. And thus, it's okay for us to realize this, to realize that we are slaves and we're going to remain slaves. The only question is the slavery to whom? Someone who says that they don't want to be restricted by the rules and regulations of God, they find it cumbersome or coercive or uncomfortable, I would respond to them in kind. Well, what about the rules and restrictions of the other master, of the Yetzirah? How willing are you to say, I'm not going to be submitted to that form of coercion and control and oversight? Because that's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And this is the holiday where we say, for seven days, we're going to try to recapture the cheirus, the freedom of slavery to God. The cheirus of Torah, the freedom of Torah. And we're going to take all the chametz, everything that the Yetzirah represents, and clean it out. Go through our house, inspect every corner meticulously and carefully to get rid of every little shred of chametz. And of course the objective of that, obviously you want to fulfill the mitzvah, but there's a deep lesson. It's evident right in front of us. And we're told in the Talmud, the chametz represents the Yitzhara. And we have this internal, we have the 
our physical house, but we also have our spiritual edifice, our house of our human, who we are, that's also full of kids carrying cake and cookies all over the place. We also have within us all this corruption of chametz within ourselves. And this is the holiday where we say, let's clear out the chametz from ourselves. Let's try to eradicate the Yetzirah. Let's try to recapture some of the freedom when we left our first master and become truly free men and become slaves of God. And by the way, there's another great parallel. To us, looking back in retrospect, we don't seem to understand. Like it, This was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Pharaoh in Egypt, so much suffering, so much pain. It doesn't seem like it was a good idea. We would have rather to have not been there. Yet we see, even absent any sin, Abraham is told, your kids will be, well, your kids will be slaves and be tormented for 400 years. And of course, we ask the question, well, he hasn't sinned. Why is he being punished? The answer is he's not being punished. He's being educated. And, and ultimately, it's a, it was a good thing. For us, we're also told we have a Yetzirah. And who gets a Yetzirah? A baby as they're being born, says the Talmud in Sanhedrin. So they get a, a baby, they get a Yetzirah birth, but they haven't sinned. Why are they being subject to being enslaved by the Yetzirah? Maybe it too follows the same pattern. Maybe, just like the, the Midrash tells us that the, the Almighty considers the Yetzirah Tov Mo, it's really a good thing, but it's a bad thing. Well, is it a bad thing or is it a good thing? Well, maybe it's a bad thing in absolute terms, but it's a good thing because it shows you what really you ought to subject yourself to God. You look at your at the vise-like control that the Yetzirah has over a person at the initial stages of life, the child and even the young adult and even the adult who is under the spell of the Yetzirah, they're slaves. Whatever the Yetzirah tells them to do, they do. You see, a small child doesn't have the option of not succumbing to the Yetzirah. It's, it's, their hands are tied behind their backs. They're slaves. They have no choice. They have no freedom. It's not possible for them to be considerate of someone else's Time and money and sleep in the case of babies. It's not possible for them to do. They're slaves of the Yetzirah. And the hope is, is that through the course of our lives, we can have a personal exodus. We too cannot change who we are to stay slaves, but to become slaves, not of the Yetzirah, of God. And the same way over at the initial stages, we're enslaved to the Yetzirah, Let's just change who the master is to kick out the imposter and establish in his place the true God. And by the way, look at the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, what, what it's all about. There's the Melech Elyon and the Melech Evyon. There's the supreme king and then there's the pauper king. We have two kings vying for the right, so to speak, to be our master. We have, unfortunately, we start off life as being subject to the Pharaoh, to the pauper king, to the Yetzirah. And on the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, as is the holiday of every other, every other holiday, we say, Zechel Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Let's recapture Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Yetzirah Mitzrayim is we had this crossover, this turnover, not to change who we are. We were slaves and we remain slaves. 
but to change who our master is. And every holiday is the same theme. And what do we do in Sukkot? We sit, we sit in a sukkah. We leave a permanent home and move to a temporary home. What's the Yetzirah telling us? This is, this world is your permanent home. We say, no, 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 no. This world is our temporary home. And for seven days, we're going to leave our permanent home because it's just a little bit more temporary. A little bit more permanent, but it's still temporary. And spend seven days to think about the fact that the Yetzirah is a bunch of baloney. And every holiday, this was the time when we actually did it. We took one king and we cast him aside and we installed another king. We, we installed the Almighty. We stayed slaves, of course. But that's the design. And the hope is that we can follow the lesson, the underlying lesson that undergirds this holiday, but really undergirds every holiday, and is the objective of Torah to help make us free men. How do you get free? Well, what is freedom? Freedom is slavery to God. And freedom from your previous master from the eight Sarah. And that's the theme of every holiday, and that's the objective of Torah. Torah is you following the Almighty's rules. Well, what if you don't want to follow the Almighty? You have to see a really amazing non-kosher restaurant. It's amazing. You really want it. You don't really want it. Yetzirah wants it. Yetzirah wants you to want it. And what do you say? You say, well, I am beholden and subject to a higher authority. By doing that, you're unlocking a little bit of your chains to your pauper king, and you're latching it to a different king, to a different... You're transferring your slavery from the Yetzirah to God. And that's indeed the theme of the holiday. That's the objective of the holiday. That's the objective of all the holidays. And that is the purpose of Torah. It's, of course, not a surprise at all that we see and we say and we reference again and again because at that time we accomplished the objective of life in a broad scale and that is indeed what we ought to aspire to do once again in our present iterations of life and to overcome our slavery to the Yitzhah, not to change who we are, to remain slaves, but to become slaves of God. Everyone have a wonderful, happy, healthy, and kosher Passover. I look forward to reconvening after the holiday.